37th parallel on America's haunted highway, it's Pixelated Paranormal, your guide to the unusual and the strange. What's up, everybody, and welcome back to another sleep-deprived episode of Pixelated Paranormal. Whoop, whoop. <laughs> That's right. I am running on about four hours of sleep, and I've been up since about 8 o'clock this morning. Yeah. I'm uh, in a mad dash to get this year's Horror Fest poster finished up, and I did finish it up, but at about 4 o'clock this morning, so I am wicked tired. But I did get to do it while watching Exorcist Part 3, so that was fantastic, and we've officially started Wichita's annual Horror Fest, and last night we watched Return of the Living Dead on the big screen, and it was glorious. Oh my. Mm-hmm. And that smooth voice is pressed in with me as always. What's up, all you cute ghosts and goblins? <laughs> and on this episode, it is Jess Preston and I. We are Sans Steven. For this go around, but he'll be back here pretty quick. So we decided not to do our um, cryptid encounters with the melon head yet because I want Steven to be on for that one pretty badly. So we're going to push that back an episode or two. But uh, it's not to say we don't have some interesting creepy crawlies to talk about on this episode. Mm-hmm. But beforehand, we have got some news. So Preston, speaking of being sleep deprived, do you yourself ever just feel like there's not enough hours in the day and you'd rather just shun sleep completely to get more stuff done? No, I'd actually like to do less stuff and sleep more. <laughs> I know. Ain't that just the way? I, uh, I'm the opposite, though. I Ever since I was a child, uh, I think part of the problem I have insomnia is I just don't like to go to sleep because I know if I go to sleep then I can't do anything else like all the fun stuff has to end so like even as a kid I hated to go to sleep because I knew I had a pile of ninja turtles on my floor and I'm like but if I go to sleep I can't play with them so I would just stay up super uber late playing quietly with my toys you know by the moonlight and even as an adult I'm just like god if I go to bed now I will get eight hours of sleep but I could play Xbox, I could watch another movie, I could do a hundred different things. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And then I start bartering with myself because I'm like, okay, if I go to bed now, I could still get five and a half solid hours of sleep. <laughs> and then I wake up in the morning, you know, hating myself. And it's just a vicious continuing circle. Lena, puppy, what you eating, girl? A dog came in the room eating something. Well, any hoozle, Preston, this guy may have just solved the problem. Now, like most people, few of us actually like to go through with the idea of just not going to sleep. But a guy's name I'm going to butcher as always, Dasuki Hori, is a man who thinks he's found the ticket. Mr. Hori claims that he has lowered his daily sleep regimen from 8 hours a day to just 30 minutes of sleep per day. And he goes so without suffering any of the severe side effects associated with sleep deprivation. He's the chairman of the Japanese Short Sleeper Association, and he now teaches other people how to lower their daily sleeping time so they can enjoy more of life. 
Daisuke Hori was recently featured on a popular Japanese TV show where he talked about his controversial sleep schedule. Now, apparently this guy always thought that 16 hours of, you know, uptime was just not enough to get everything done he wanted to in a day. At some point, he started researching and experimenting with lowering his daily sleep routine, and over several years, he's managed to go down from eight hours to just one half hour of sleep per day, and seemingly remaining completely healthy and energetic. Now, I don't know how this works. 30 minutes of sleep sounds completely unbelievable to me. But apparently, TV show producers challenged Hori to a showcase his daily routine on camera for a period of 72 hours. He accepted the challenge. They installed a bunch of cameras and cameramen in his house. And a TV crew followed him for three full days when he only slept up to 30 minutes per day. But only 30 minutes each day. Hmm. On the first day, he got up around 8 o'clock in the morning. He went to the gym, he read books, he wrote articles for a weekly column he writes for, he played video games, he went out to meet some friends for dinner, and even after eating, he made some short video clips about his sleeping routine for the YouTube channel that he runs. Now, after recording, he had another meal, did some chores around the house, and chatted with people online. So it sounds like the guy just go, 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 goes. Finally, around 2 in the morning, it finally came... It finally came time for him to go to sleep, but he only slept for about 26 minutes before waking up naturally without the aid of an alarm clock. He got up, he got dressed, he went surfing with some friends in the middle of the night, then he went to the gym and finally went back to his house. Now, During the three-day test, he spent his nights playing video games and playing mahjong and going surfing. Funnily enough, his friends who he surfed with are also short-term sleepers. They all trained together to shorten their daily routine so they could enjoy more quality time together. Now, people are pretty curious how he manages to stay awake even after eating meals, because typically after you eat, you get a surge in insulin. I'm sorry, you lose insulin levels because your insulin drops, causing you... Shit, am I wrong? I don't know. <laughs> okay. I mean, I get tired now, of shit after I eat lunch, so... <laughs> right, right, right. I misread the notes here. He manages to stay awake after eating a big meal because normally we all receive insulin spikes in our blood sugar, but he manages to drink a little extra caffeine and avoid the insulin spikes, allowing his insulin levels to lower naturally. So, I don't know. That sounds like an absolute nightmare to me. I am envious of him doing it, but God, like you said, Presto, nowadays I do enjoy a good eight hours of sleep and I wake up like I'm a different person. Yeah, I, you know, like my regiment, I would like to get to where like in society, like as far as like my job goes, like I could just have like three or four days off and then during one of those, you know, a couple days, I just fucking just sleep like 13, 14, 15 hours and just hit the bed <laughs> right. hard. And then all of a sudden I wake up, I'm like, oh my God, I'm a brand new fucking man. Let's go world. And then a couple days later, I'm like, nope, it's time to hibernate like a bear. Yeah, I think I would dig that too, man. I really do. I I kind of wish we could break up the day. Like right now, I actually, because I starve myself of sleep so often, I actually take... Um, usually one hour naps on my lunch break out in my car whenever it's not scorching, you know, scorchingly hot outside. Mm -hmm. Like today, 
first day of fall-like weather, buddy, I went out to my car and I had the best power nap. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Except for that homeless guy that was out, that was out there screaming and <laughs> kind of had me on edge. Well, if sleeping for only 30 days... <laughs> Jesus, if sleeping for only 30 minutes a day seems like a nightmare, our next story is a little bit of a nightmare in itself. Now, we know we've had a bunch of tropical storms lately, and as Tropical Storm Nicholas was approaching Texas on September 13th, there was something else besides rainfall stalking the shores of the beaches of Galveston. Ooh. Galveston police were called after they received many reports of a man holding what looked to be a bloody knife walking around the beach as Tropical Storm Nicholas had approached. Officers arriving at the scene, in combination with many tweets and Instagram posts of what appeared to be Michael Myers, officers discovered that a masked man who ended up being Mark Metzinger was dressed up as Michael Myers from Halloween, carrying a fake knife, walking along the shores as approaching Storm Nicholas was on its way. After placing Metzinger in handcuffs, officers soon determined the knife he was carrying was also fake, as was the blood. Galveston Police Spokesman Sergeant Stacy Papillion said that Metzinger was cited for disorderly conduct and then released. And you can go on Twitter and see all these photos of this giant storm coming in. You can see the theme park there in Galveston, right in front of the storm clouds, and some big old hulking guy wearing a blue jumpsuit suit and a Michael Myers mask standing there with a knife in his hand as the storm approaches. The tweet from Grizzly Hood News exclusive says, Meanwhile in Galveston, Michael's tripping by the seashore. Someone a tag attorney, Mark A. Metzinger III, please let him know he's made it into the Hood News. <laughs> now, while posting about it on Facebook, Metzinger said the incident was nothing more than a harmless prank he hoped would bring some kind of positive vibe in tune with the doom and gloom that was on its way. He said, Restoring faith in humanity through humor is 100% what I'm about. It's all I've been about my whole life. My methods might not work for everybody, but I can guarantee I will please more than I piss off. So if taking a silly walk down the beach during a storm in a costume and subsequently being arrested for disorderly conduct accomplished any of that, then I'll do it again all day, every day. Now, he was cited with a Class C citation, but he says being a lawman himself, he's kind of fuzzy on what exactly was illegal about what he was doing. Ooh. Yeah. And I remember this going on. People, you know, hitting headlines saying Michael Myers is out trolling these Galveston beaches, and people thought it was some kind of viral marketing for the new Halloween Kills film coming out. But alas, it was just one man trying to make a difference. In our hearts. Now speak in our hearts. Right, right. Now speaking of Halloween news, Presto, I don't know if you heard about this, but in the ever-changing avenue of, you know, big blockbuster movie releases and at-home video-on-demand releases, Halloween Kills just announced they're actually going to be making a deal. Universal made a deal with Peacock, the NBC streaming platform, and you'll be able to actually watch Halloween Kills on release day, October 15th, at home for free, as long as you pay the $4.99 a month premium package from Peacock. 
So I don't know what that's going to do to box offices because that movie is supposed to be making a bunch of money and a lot of people are excited for it. But uh, yeah, hmm. you're now going to have the option to watch that movie at home in the safety and comfort of your own couch. Which, you know, for uh, Godzilla vs. King Kong and uh, the Mortal Kombat movie that just came out, mm-hmm. yeah, that was... That was phenomenal, and I'm not, you know, Steve's not on here to defend Dune. Like, I'm a huge Dune fan, but, yeah, um, yeah, I don't have time to go see it, like, day one release in the theater, so fuck it, I'm going to watch it on HBO Max. Yeah, see, and we'll talk more in depth about this with Steve, because, you know, his argument definitely deserves to be heard. Yeah. But for me, like, you nailed it, buddy. Time right now is of the essence, and we don't have a lot of it. And stuff like, uh, you know, I don't, I mean, Venom's going to be in theaters. I don't think there's any plan for Venom to be in uh, on demand at home. But like Halloween, I, I'm going to try to see it day one because I don't want shit to be spoiled for me. And we're still in an age of pretty much every big jump scare and every big tw- uh, plot twist is going to be in the trailer itself. So I don't even watch trailers anymore. Yeah. And I know like the day after it hits theaters, uh, I'm going to have to avoid Instagram and Twitter and everything else because people are going to be on there just talking about every single thing going on. Oh, my God. Do you so. see the way Michael stabbed that woman like the blood of <laughs> Jesus? Oh, my God. Right. Right. Exactly. So I can't believe I, I they will be fucking killed one. him again. They just said, keep <laughs> fucking killing him. Well, and the weird thing is they've already announced yet another sequel after Halloween Kills, so it's like, uh, I'm interested to see what's going to happen. Yeah, come on, guys. Fuck. Yeah. I did just watch the Rob Zombie remake of Halloween 1 the other night, and uh, admittedly, I don't give that movie enough credit. I think his uh, Halloween 1 remake was pretty freaking solid. I have a 2 on Voodoo. I I don't know. It's a little too... um gory for me a little too a little too rob zombie yeah i'm just like nope i can't handle it i'm out dog i'm out i've tried to watch it three times and i usually get about 20 minutes in and then i just turn it off because i just can't get into it and for me it's not even the gore like gore's fine i'm up for whatever it's just i feel like it's just way too like ah look at us we're grungy gothic rock and roll lovers mm, no one understands us except for the trailer trash I haven't taken a bath in six weeks. (laughs) Pretty much. Pretty, pretty much. Well, shifting gears for our last news story, because we're talking about cryptids tonight, Preston, I thought it'd be appropriate to end on a news story about a cryptid. Oh. Hunting for Bigfoot, Sasquatch statue stolen from Cuyahoga Falls popular destination spot. In Cuyahoga Falls, Ohio... For ages, while man has been in pursuit of Sasquatch, the legendary ape-like creature purported to inhabit the forests of North America, one man had already found him. But now, sadly, residents in the town of Cuyahoga Falls are joining the hunt to reclaim their beloved Bigfoot. A statue that stood outside Jimmy's Backyard Barbecue named Mr. Sasquatch was stolen earlier this month when somebody drove up in a Ford Explorer in the early morning hours, unbolted him, and tossed him in the back of the vehicle before driving off. He was bolted down with six-inch lag bolts, exclaimed Jimmy's Backyard Barbecue owner Judy Blair. I mean, they knew what they were doing. 
Mr. Sasquatch has served as a welcoming ambassador, not just to the restaurant patrons, but to all passerbys who drive or walk past the popular local haunt. Undoubtedly, the community is in mourning. Well, my hope one day is the culprits who are watching this video right now will have a change of heart and bring Mr. Sasquatch back. Blair has no idea who'd be motivated to take off with the Bigfoot statue, but as for her restaurant, it's in the proximity of both Kent State University and the University of Akron. She wonders if maybe it was part of a college hazing ritual. All she knows right now is two people showed up driving a 2002 to 2005 Ford Explorer, so she's offering a $1,000 reward, no questions asked. Oh, shut up, advertisement. $1,000 reward, no questions asked, and even a free sandwich if you'll bring back the beloved Mr. Sasquatch. Didn't we, uh, didn't we cover a similar story earlier this year about uh, a Bigfoot statue where somebody like took the arm or took the leg? It was like in Oklahoma yeah. or Texas. Nah, uh, probably. The one I'm thinking of happened in California at the uh, Bigfoot Discovery Museum. There's a little uh, Bigfoot statue carved out of a giant tree trunk that was on the front porch of this museum. Um, I've got a, I got a picture on my desktop of Shayla standing next to the little statue, and somebody drove up and stole that a while back. Come on, people. Get it together. Nah. Quit fucking with the Squatch. Leave well, and you know the, uh, the troll down there uh, on the river walk, somebody stole his arm a few times. Really? Yeah. Yeah, I oh, saw... Uh, did, did you go with Jeffrey the other day? I saw she posted a picture of the old troll. No, I, I've actually never... Uh, you know, we've we've covered the story enough about the troll and then, um, you know, and like all the different art appre appreciation classes I've had to take over the years. Um, yeah. I know a lot about it. I've never gone down to see it. And Jeffrey's like, oh, what? my God. Yeah, Jeffrey's like, oh, my God, there's a fucking troll. I'm like, yeah, it's downtown inside, a, you know, like a drain thing. And she's like, I'm taking Addie. And so they had a real good time checking it out and seeing it. But yeah, I've never gone. <laughs> oh, wow, man. It's fun. It's a really cool statue for sure. Well, presto, baby. Speaking of creepy things that go bump in the night and lurk in the sewer, why don't we jump into this, man? You started the research for tonight's episode. I'll piggyback on the end. But what do you got to hmm. talk about tonight? Well, from the author of the book, Southerns and Saurians, Swamp Monsters, the author says, quite simply, I don't know what to make of this story, nor the creature described therein. The creature is called the Crocodingo, and it's essentially a <laughs> dingo with the head of a crocodile. And if you think that's weird, just wait till you hear the origin story. So here we go, listeners. Buckle up. On the night of July 31st, 1839, a farmer named Hank Lemon had what he considered to be a possible alien encounter in Huntsville, Tennessee. That evening, Mr. Lemon noticed a strange green glow in the night sky behind his home. And if you've ever seen fire in the sky, you should probably never go near the green glow you should have ran, you <laughs> dumb son of a bitch. I was going to say, everyone knows fog yeah. and strange lights are nature's yeah. way to say, get the fuck out fuck of here. Fuck out of there, yeah. And uh, he said it looked an awful lot like the northern lights. Ominously, his dog seemed also to be disturbed by the strange aerial lights. And then, from the sky, a terrible crack. A 
dead straight bolt of lightning hit the ground. The green glow dissipated, and then, moments later, he saw a strange, horribly alien-looking creature that dart darted from the woods. He described it as having the body of a dog with the head of a crocodile. <laughs> Lemon also reported a horrible stench, stating the following. There's this horrible carnal smell in the air, and something else, a horrible thing, something that would drive a man crazy, should he be exposed to it for too long a period. And from there on out, dear listeners, this creature would be called the Crocodingo. Now, is it fair to say this happened in America or Australia? Um, it happened in America, but we'll get to we'll get to why. Oh, okay. Sorry, I, I read ahead. My bad, you, baby. You read ahead, baby. It's okay. <laughs> we'll get to it. Don't worry. So the creature was spotted sporadically from 1856 to 1860 in the vicinity of New River, Tennessee. Curiously, the creature was observed catching fishes from a creek quite often. Some fishermen even left fish out for the animal as an offering of stores, like, please stay the fuck away from me, here's some fish. <laughs> right. Initially, the creature was known as the Haint Dog, but in the late 1800s, Curiel Alan Brown, whose father was an Australian immigrant, nicknamed the strange animal the Crocodingo. Ah, there we go. That makes there sense. There we go. One of the most notable encounters with the Crocodingo occurred during the Civil War. A Confederate soldier named Roger Owens stated that he observed the crocodingo guarding a freshly mauled soldier. Presumably the corpse was the creature's kill. Owens shit his pants and then left the scene of the bizarre monster. <laughs> and when he returned later, he found only the blood. Dun, dun, dun. And the body and the crocodingo were gone. Other Confederate soldiers reported seeing the beast, claiming that it watched them from afar and sometimes ground at them, or in some cases they might catch a glimpse of it running through the woods. But the sightings continued after the war, too. In the early 1900s, the dwindling fish population near New River was attributed to the monster. Farmers shot at the animal and set traps for it, but nothing ever came of these endeavors. Kind of reminds me of that uh, X Files story when uh, they go up to Lake Champlain to get old Blue or Big Champ and fucking ate all the frogs and you know the uh, <laughs> right you know they're just like it was a crocodile but then like the last scene of the movie like you see the giant fucking Nessie monster and ooh yep yeah man good old X Files good old X Files so does that make me Mulder and you Scully or does that make me Scully and you Mulder? I think we're both a little bit of uh, each of those two characters equally. Yeah. You know? And then Steve can be our, um, oh, God, what was that guy's name? <laughs> Skinner. <Steve's old> guy. <laughs> Skinner. <laughs> Steve can be Skinner, the guy who's just kind of there for the ride and slowly starting to believe. Anyways, as time carried on, so did the Crocodingo. Railroad workers in the vicinity of Oneida, Tennessee, claimed to find newly laid rails with bite marks in them, which they attributed to the monster. Sometimes the rails were split in two, and sightings reached a peak in 1925 after the implementation of the Oneida sewer system. Locals began to report strange cries coming from the sewer drains. Well, it could be Pennywise, but who knows. 
<laughs> These horrible alien cries would come about after heavy rains. The next day, manholes would be found overturned, implying something crawled its way out of the sewers. Or man into the sewer. Or into the sewers, yeah. And manhole covers are pretty fucking heavy, too. So whatever, you know, if you think that whatever lifted it or, you know, pushed it open, like, that's got a mm-hmm. lot of strength behind it. Dude, yeah, I, uh, again, folks, uh, here's a story about my, I don't know what you'd call it, infinite wisdom. Uh-huh. Um, we bought a place here in Wichita, and the first summer we lived here, there was, like, rainstorms like crazy. Like, it rained for 30 days straight. And the manhole cover in front of our house, because the sewer got flooded so badly, one night we were looking out the window just watching the rain come down, and I watched that manhole cover fly off of the sewer up into the air about six feet and then come crashing down on the street. Mm. And I'm like, holy shit, that's a giant geyser. Like there's like a seven-foot geyser of water coming out. And then the next day as the rain finally stopped, I was going to go out there and take the manhole cover, drag it back over, and put it over the manhole because I'm like, someone's going to drive through here and just blow a tire. And, of course, my wife said, no, you're stupid. Don't do that. They're incredibly heavy, and uh, you could hurt yourself. So I said, fine, and I called the city. And I called the city like three or four times and reported, hey, there's a manhole cover literally three feet away from the manhole. Someone's going to drive through it because we live on a busy street, and they're going to blow a tire or flip a car. Well, the city never came through and fixed it. And wouldn't you know, who do you think drove over the hole and blew a tire? Uh, You? A Wichita city truck. Oh. (laughs) This truck came flying down the street, as all those idiots do, went over the manhole, and they didn't blow a tire, but instead they blew a fucking wheel. Mm. Like the whole wheel was just like wrenched off to the side. And I remember hearing ba-boom looking out there and this thing had gone off course, popped a curb and the wheel was just completely wrecked and the tire was shredded because it exploded. And I thought that, folks, is poetic justice. Well, the story of the manhole is not over because you fast forward like um, uh, two years ago. Uh, same shit, big storm, big geyser, knocked the manhole cover off the manhole, right? Mm-hmm. So I said, all right, I'm going to go out there and fix it because I don't want someone else to blow a fucking tire. And my wife's like, what are you doing? Don't do it. You're an idiot. And I'm like, <laughs> you betcha. So I run out there and I, you know, squat down and pick up the manhole cover and drag it over there. And, you know, bend at your knees, lift with your legs, that kind of thing. And I go to slide it over the manhole. And when the back end of it fell, like into the manhole, it's so heavy, it fell out of my hands. Well, it had a little gap about, oh, I don't know, three to four inches. I just had to reach down there, pick it up, and slide it over. Well, in doing so, I picked it up, started walking backwards ever so slowly, and it slipped out of my right hand, and my left hand went down with the manhole and got pinched between the manhole cover and the opening of the sewer. That Mm. thing probably weighed a good hundred pounds, and the only thing that saved me from not losing all four fingers on my left hand is my wedding ring. So I yelled out a bunch of stuff uh, in some weird adrenaline-filled rush, lifted the manhole, pulled my hand out, and then dropped it, ran back inside because quickly the pressure of my ring was turning my finger purple, 
And I thought, okay, act quick. What would your dad do in the situation? Ran past Shayla, grabbing the dish towel between her and the oven, wrapped it around my hand, and then grabbed a pair of vice grips and slowly started pinching and kind of working the ring around in a circle like in jewelry class, mm-hmm. <laughs> reforming my ring around my finger and thus saving it from not cutting off circulation and losing my ring finger. And so to this day, my wedding ring has two giant divots in it on each side where I had to squeeze it really hard initially to get it to open up so my finger wouldn't fall off. So I'll show you that sometime. But yeah, yeah, folks, listen to your significant other when they're saying, hey, dummy, you're being a big fucking dummy. Because nine times out of ten, they're probably right. And apparently you're not as strong as a crocodingo. (laughs) That's what I'm saying. Crocodingo's got to be stronger than me. Yeah. Damn. <laughs> well, a man named Jack Bannister claimed that he followed a strange animal that he at first mistook for a coyote in the sewers in 1943. He said that it had a dog like mannerisms and nudged open the manhole and then slithered down into the sewers. And yes, Bannister did say that he got a clear look at the animal, which had the body of a mangly wolf, but the head of an alligator or crocodile. Mangy, but I'm going to call him Mangly from now on. <laughs> yeah. Mangy. What did I say? Mangly? Well, mangly, which is adorable. Yeah. Well, you know, that's what happens uh, when you have Crown Royal and Thrash Apple Mountain Dew mixed together in a giant cup. So you get what you get. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like a cocktail you drink while watching a Rob Zombie movie. Oh, yeah. Anyways, the next significant sighting would not occur until the next century in 2012 when two eyewitnesses saw the uh, animal emerge from a utility hole. Solely because of Hank Lemon's account, many people associate the crocodingo with extraterrestrials. The theory is the animal is a genetic hybrid cross between a crocodile and a dog created by the goddamn aliens. However... (laughs) If we discard the green glow in the sky as coincidence and examine this creature as though it were a prehistoric survivor, which I like because I like the idea Uh, of dinosaurs living in modern time, a likely candidate could be a member of the Therospid family of reptiles, specifically the Crinogathus, whatever, fuck, I don't know. Sinogathias, Sioganicus. That sounded really good, Sinogathias. There we go. Um, as described wrong, in the, the sounded great. Yeah. As the book titled Dinosaurs and Other Prehistoric Animals puts it. The animal looked like the cross between a wolf and a lizard. So it was a, it was one of those uh, dinosaurs that came out like, you know, like toward the end, like right <laughs> when the, you know, like possums and little rodents were coming through and like dinosaurs Basically were like, when everything was banging everything. Yeah. So it's like it was a dinosaur with fur. So, you know, that's kind of cool. Yeah. Crocodingo. Crocodingo. Anyways, artists have rendered uh, the animal in various ways over the years, but it is essentially a hairy quadruped dinosaur that has the stance of a dog, but the elongated head and mouth of a carnivorous reptile like the crocodile. As people in the 19th century were no, du- no doubt unfamiliar with such an animal, they might as well have described it simply as a dog with the head of the biggest, fiercest reptile that they knew. The crocodile! <laughs> you know what we need? Crocodile Dundee. Ah, Crocodingo Dundee. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, 
other theories tied this beast with the Bell Witch legend, which uh, have we covered that in detail before? We have not, and I don't know why. Yeah, I think we know we like uh, you know hint around it, like we give little sprinklings of the Bell Witch, but I don't think we've right, ever like right. just fucking hit it and quit it, which maybe we should. Well, the good news is you're here with more sprinkles. Yeah. <laughs> Those and, Bell Witch sprinkles. Yep. So with the Bell Witch uh, sprinkles, uh, the Bell Witch legend began with a cryptid sighting. One evening, a man named John Bell, spoilers, spotted a mm-hmm. dog with the head of a rabbit outside his home in 1817. Soon after this, the house was plagued by the ghost of a woman named Kate. And... In addition to the spirit, there were other supernatural occurrences inside the residence, such as an invisible animal gnawing on the bedpost and the sounds of dogs fighting could be heard outside, and a bunch of other scary shit, which, you know, Halloween's mm-hmm. coming up, so maybe we should do this one. <laughs> Anyways, there was never any evidence of any sort of animal that could be the source of the sounds. However, the association with the Bell Witch legend is tenuous is a tenuous one, probably simply because they occurred at the same state involved uh, a dog-like cryptid. In this supernatural vein, others theorize a crocodingo is a type of Native American skinwalker. However, the biggest problem with the crocodingo is its identity or origin. Its lack of sources, which I told my daughter, we're all about pure speculation, baby. That's what we like around here. We don't need fucking sources. <laughs> Fuck sources. We're not a facts-based podcast. Get yeah, out of here. get the fuck out of here. Anyways, through online articles and uh, on the Beast are uh, many, absolutely none of the articles cite sources. God damn it. There's also no newspaper articles reporting uh, any of the sightings. Zero. Zip. Nada. Nothing. So that would chalk up the crocodingo simply as folklore and nothing more. Now you've got a note here about another creature called the Coon Gator. Yeah. <laughs> it's another mythical monster or possibly a real cryptid similar to the Crocodingo. Yeah, and the fucking book, that's where it ended. It's like, uh, the Coongator is another mythical monster and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, what are the fucking stories about this thing? Like, <laughs> fuck, I want to know about like a raccoon trash panda alligator hybrid. Like, that sounds badass. <laughs> Uh, well, can we start saying, uh, see you later, <laughs> coon gator after wild crocodingo? Yeah, we can. <laughs> I should have wrote that joke down. Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm checking my book here, the uh, I Know What I Saw by Linda S. Godfrey. I don't think the crocodingo or the coon gator are either one listed in here, but I would definitely like to read more about those if there's more sightings other than the few that we saw. Um, you know, online, or if there's more shit, but I don't see. Nope. Nope. No coon I, gators or crocodingos. I feel like the coon gator could be like a Marvel, uh, like, uh, instead of like Rocket Raccoon, it's like a little talking <laughs> coon gator with a, you know, like a gun. I mean, I would definitely go check it out if that was a thing, man. That'd be pretty cool. I can imagine a really awesome uh, action figure with the old crocodingo. Yeah. Hey, Baba Drock, if you're listening, dude, dude, make us a Coon Gator or Crocodingo. That's your new project. Yes. Hell yeah, it is. I want it, and I want it now. Uh, well, you want to talk about Civil War-era monsters, do you, Preston? Okay. 
Okay, Preston, Preston, okay. We'll talk about some Civil War era monsters. Four scores and several years ago, we've chatted about a few uh, Civil War era monsters in the past, including one episode recently, 140, which was our 10th Cryptid Encounter episode about old Whitey, the White River monster of Arkansas. And we've even chatted about Chessie, the Loch Ness monster-like beast of the Chesapeake Bay. So I skipped over those, Preston, and I got another nasty little booger for you called Old Green Eyes. Ooh. So admittedly, number one, your monster had a cooler name. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, let's go ahead and butcher this name, shall we? In the area of Georgia's Chickamauga Creek. Yeah, very good. Hey, thanks, buddy. Also at the site of the epic bloody battle of Chickamauga, a strange creature is said to lurk about the battlefield, skulking in the aftermath of the furious fighting of the Civil War, prowling and fleeting amongst the fallen corpses and feeding on the dead. The creature particularly, particularly haunts the area known as Snodgrass Hill. The 125th Ohio Regiment thought they saw what they described as a strange-looking tiger with blazing green eyes stalking them from the tall grass. And so rumors quickly spread. Hey, boys, we're out here fighting the good fight, and we're not only fighting against other soldiers, but we also got this weird green-eyed tiger. So be on your lookout, folks, because we got a second enemy on the field. But all that changed when soldiers began to talk about something different and far more disturbing started talking about this thing, Preston, that would sneak up like a large cat prowling for its prey. But then it would eventually rock back onto its hind feet and sit in a squatting position. And the soldiers would see this thing reach through and spread the tall grass apart and spread the reeds open with what would be described as long human-like fingers. And in a blink of an eye, this thing would suddenly look more like a ghoul sitting back in the brush, no longer like the tiger. The thing was described as being vaguely humanoid with glowing green eyes, waist-length yellow hair, and disproportionately large jaws filled with jagged, long, sharp teeth. (laughs) Think of this thing as an emaciated, gangly Bigfoot, but with the head and the face of an anglerfish. This nasty beast would go on to be called Old Green Eyes. Now, as these things often do, the sightings of Old Green Eyes change sometimes into something more sinister, if that's even possible. Soldiers would begin reporting that they were seeing a gaunt, pale-skinned man with a top hat, wearing a dress coat and tails, wandering through the woods late at night. As time went on, these soldiers said they would also sometimes see something lurking around the medical tent, sniffing in the air and trying to peel back the sides of the canvas tent where the wounded men and soldiers were laying inside. And when an unlucky soldier would happen to catch this creature's glance, this ghoulish macabre thing was said to have stark, glowing green eyes and a smile of gnarled, uneven dagger-like teeth. And some say that shortly after the bloodbath would occur on the battlefield, this daintily dressed green-eyed ghoul could be seen skulking out of the tree line 
just on the edge of the battlefield and dragging the nearest corpse back into the woods to feast upon. Now, interestingly enough, the beast would be sighted from time to time even long after the Civil War had ended. Folks don't know why it was out there or what it was doing, but some say it was scavenging among the dead after particularly bloody battles that had occurred, looking for its next meal. Easy pickings, you, baby. <laughs> you're right, doing the dirty work and it's done dirt cheap. And then in 1981, a park ranger by the name of Edward Tenney gave an account which he described a rather harrowing encounter with the creature. Tenney claims that he was out walking through the park one evening in 1976 at around 4 a.m. when he was suddenly overcome with an inexplicable chill and a heavy sense of dread, soon after which he witnessed a bizarre monster stalking through the woods. Well, when it passed me, I could see his hair was long like a woman's. The eyes. My God, I'll never forget them goddamn eyes. They were glaring almost greenish-orange in color, flashing like some sort of wild animal, and the teeth, my lord, were long and pointed like fangs. It was wearing a dark cape that seemed to be flapping in the wind, but there was no wind. I didn't know whether to run, scream, or shit my pants. Then, <laughs> the headlights of an approaching car came blazing through the fog, and the goddamn thing just disappeared right in front of me. So was the thing that Mr. Tenney saw the same entity the troops witnessed it, witnessed it, witnessed feasting on the corpses of dead and desolate soldiers on these battlefields during the Civil War? Who knows? But one thing's for sure, though, nowadays, there's several documented vehicle accidents that occur when visitors are driving through the park at night when they claim to see something with unearthly glowing green eyes staring at them from the dark edge of the woods. These haunting eyes will frighten them to such a degree they swerve off the road and wreck their vehicles. Then they'll immediately call park rangers or the police, and these people file reports stating officially they'd seen a terrifying vision prior to their accident. A vision with something strange just off in the shadows with shining green eyes. Mm. So there you go. Old green eyes. I like that story because it starts off with something that kind of looks like Smeagol with a um, anglerfish face, but then there's also reports of some real dainty, you know, grave, graveyard ghoul with a top hat kind of wandering around, and then Modern-day tales kind of, you know, mix the two together in an amalgam of some kind of weird long-haired, green-eyed creature with a cape. Well, Presto, what do you think we should do next time? Any ideas? Um, I don't know. You know, I'm almost done with uh, my notes uh, to start off our uh, Surviving Death series, but that's mm -hmm. more uh, October-ish, which, I mean, I guess we're getting close to October-ish. I don't know. Maybe the Bell Witch. Fuck, I don't know. Yeah, I think that'd be a lot of fun, man. I think The Bell Witch is one that there's several good documentaries on right now we could watch. Um, I think we got to definitely get in there and finish up The Melon Heads. I've already got a document started, you know, uh, working on that. And because Steve couldn't be here with us, um, ironically, that gives me more time to do a little bit more research on that. 
And then I know um, coming up to the Halloween time month of October, John and Leslie want to get together and do a couple episodes about Harry Houdini and the experiences he had trying to um, disprove spiritualists. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So uh, sounds like a plan. Cool. All right. Well, it's a good time to cut it, guys. So why don't we do that right here? Thanks for listening. Please check us out on the Instagram, PXL Paranormal. Check out our Facebook page, the Pixelated Paranormal Podcast. Both of those two places, you can catch all the uh, companion guides that we post whenever we have a new episode, oftentimes with accompanying photos, other announcements. And we'll also have news on the t-shirts very, very soon. Sorry about the delay on that. Preston, what do you got for us? Listen, folks, if you don't take care of your beard one morning, you're going to wake up and either you're going to look like the crocodingo, you're going to look like <laughs> the coon gator, or maybe you're going to look like the trailer park old green eyes with your emaciated, <laughs> you know, scraggly Bigfoot body hair. And there's one way to solve all your problems, and that's Big Dobbs beardbomb.com that's right go. go over there right now and use promo code pxlpara for 20 percent off your order and pick yourself up some scents like dundee cedar bay rum sweet tobacco fresh citrus classic and mint your beard will look amazing it'll feel amazing it'll smell amazing and uh, it won't be all scraggly looking you'll look like a dapper man so <laughs> go over to Big Dobbs and get it all. Boom. There you go. If you're in the Wichita area, please stop by and see Leslie and the gang over at CD Trade Post. Stop in and say hi. Tell them that Pixelated Paranormal sent you in there. All right. And on behalf of Stephen, I'd like to say, uh, of behalf, on behalf of Stephen, I'd like to say cheers for the weird shit in the world and to those of us that love to talk about it. And see you later, Coon Gator. And after a while, crocodingos. The cast at Pixelated Paranormal would like to thank you for listening to this week's episode. Pixelated Paranormal is here to tell you tales of the fantastical, the strange, the unknown. Tales that will move you a little further down the paranormal highway. If you'd like to share your own listener story, we would love to hear it. Email us at pixelatedparanormal at gmail.com. Again, that's pixelatedparanormal.com at gmail.com. We'd really love to hear from you. Again, thanks for listening to this week's episode of Pixelated Paranormal, your guide to the unusual and the strange.